Good morning, everyone. Uh, I introduced myself before, but I'll say it again. My name's Norton. I'm one of the pastors um, here at New Denver, and we are in this series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. And uh, the reason we've titled it that is because that's usually what happens anytime one of us tries to read through the book of Leviticus, right? Because it's a strange book. It's odd. It's full of all of these details about obscure things that most of us don't understand. And so we get around to trying to read it and we just give up after a few chapters. And so I thought, hey, why don't we just read the entire book together for 13 weeks and talk about it together? Because it turns out uh, this book is so much more rich and so much more relevant to our lives than we actually think it is. So uh, we're going to see that today. We're going to read a chapter today that is especially um, relevant because it addresses a significant need, um, a significant issue in our culture and in our lives. So uh, here's the issue. The issue is we are too busy and it wears us out, right? If you ask any of us, how are you doing? Uh, Usually the answer we give is, well, I'm busy. Um, Now, it used to be I'm fine, right? That's what we would always say. I'm fine, right? You're fine. We're all fine. But now it tends to be most of the time I'm just busy. And for a lot of us, our busyness is just wearing us out. Now, here's another related issue, and that's we work too much, and it burns us out. Now, maybe this doesn't apply uh, to everyone, but it applies to a lot of us. We work long hours. We're connected to email all the time and deadlines and responsibilities and the projects we're working on and the things that are expected of us. It's hard to take time off. Uh, It's hard to take vacation. It's hard to just disconnect from our work. And if you don't believe me, let me share with you a few statistics. Um, 86% of males and 67% of females in the U.S. work more than 40 hours a week. Or here's another one. On average, each year, Americans work 137 hours more than Japanese workers. That might be a surprise. We work 260 hours more than British workers, 394 hours more every year than German workers, and 499 hours more every year than people do in France. Now, because we're so busy and because we work so much, here's one more issue that that bleeds into. Our holidays are rarely restful and renewing, right? We have holidays throughout the year. In fact, we're about to enter the great holiday season. It it kind of already started with Halloween, but we're about to enter Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that happens there. But we usually fill up our holidays with travel, with seeing people, with parties, with buying stuff, with eating stuff, with doing stuff, right? So much so that, have you ever felt like you need a holiday after the holiday? Or how about this? Anyone ever felt like they've needed a vacation after the vacation, right? And it's because we all have busy schedules. We have busy calendars. We have busy lives because we live in a, a busy culture. Now, it's a little bit different this year uh, because of the pandemic, right? It's this pandemic and having to stay at home, it's, it's like it's forced all of us to slow down. And it's almost like we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to stop working. We don't know how to stop 
moving. We don't know how to stop filling up our schedules and our calendars with activity after activity. And, And we know that's not healthy, right? We know that it stresses us out to be this busy. We know we're too busy. And I think most of us wish there was another way, right? We just don't know what it is. I mean, I guess we could all move to France. That would be, that would be a great start, right? But other than that, how better can we manage our time? Like how, how could we see our time or our work or our calendars any differently? How could we embrace a way or a perspective where we have more balance, right? A, a more holistic approach, a more healthy or, or just a, a, an approach that's right to our lives and, and an approach that's not so stressful, that doesn't make us feel so overwhelmed and burdened all of the time. And that's precisely what Leviticus does for us. It offers us a different way, a better way of life. And so today we're going to read uh, Leviticus chapter 23. That's where we are in the book. We're almost to the very end of the book. So we've been reading through it. Today we're at chapter 23. And this chapter speaks directly to this issue of time and schedule and calendar. So let's take a look. Here's how it starts. Leviticus chapter 23, verse one says this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Now, let me talk about a couple of just key terms here. The first is appointed festivals. In fact, it's actually just one word in Hebrew. The word festivals isn't in there, but later in the chapter, we know it's talking about a festival. So it, it, they put that word back in there just so we would get it. But really, it's just the word appointment. That's the word that's in there. It means an appointment, a set meeting time, something that's on your calendar that you cannot miss. So... um this past Friday, I had a dentist appointment, uh, and I didn't just show up at the dentist, right? You call ahead, you set up an appointment. It was Friday at noon. I put it on my calendar, and once we agreed on that time, I blocked it out, right? I fit other things around that appointment. In fact, if somebody had said to me, hey, do you want to get together and meet for lunch on Friday? I'd have said, well, I can meet before this time, or I can meet after this time, but I can't meet during this time. I already have an appointment. That's what it's talking about here. Now, the other term is sacred assembly. The word for sacred is a word we've talked about a lot. We talked about it a lot last week. It's the word kadosh in Hebrew, and that means holy or just means different. It means set apart. It means something that is special or distinctive. So this is saying a time where the community will gather in a different way, in a special way, in a very intentional way. They will gather for a unique and distinctive purpose. Now what follows in the rest of this chapter are descriptions of seven holy appointments, right? And sometimes they're called feasts. Uh, because there's sometimes eating and celebrating that happens in these holy times or on these holy days. Sometimes they're called festivals, right? But these are days that are different days. They're days where you do something different than you do all the other days. They're appointed to be sacred days. Now, one of these days actually comes quite regularly, because here's what it says next. Verse three, there are six days when you may work, 
But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. So uh, six days a week, you work, right? You go to your job, you do your house chores, you run errands, you get the car fixed, right? You do all of the normal stuff of life. And all of those things are, are meaningful and important. And we know it's meaningful because in other passages about this idea of a Sabbath day, the six days of work are compared to the days when God created the entire world. Do you remember Genesis 1? There's a story that we're given where God makes the world. He shapes the world. He fashions the world. He does all of this work for six days. Everything we see, he makes and creates in six days. So work is meaningful. God's work on these six days is meaningful. But then it says, on the seventh day, he rests from his work. And that doesn't mean God was exhausted, right? God doesn't crash on the couch and just start watching Netflix, right? It's not that kind of rest. The term rest is, the way it's used is more positive. It's, it's more of a sense of satisfaction. On the seventh day, it's like God steps back and he's like an artist. And he appreciates his artwork. He he admires it. He enjoys it. He reflects on how beautiful it all is. The week is not done until God takes a day to rest and enjoy his work. And Genesis says that when God rests on the seventh day, he made that day kadosh. He made that day holy. And this is the first time this word holy is used in the entire Bible. The first thing that God makes holy in our world, that God makes different in our world, that God makes special and unique. It's not a person. It's not humans. It's not a specific place. It's an actual day. It's a measurement of time. And so God says, I want you to follow this pattern. I want you to set aside one day every week that's going to be different from all the other days. It's the day that you rest from your work, which is so important. When the Israelites leave Egypt, because think about their lives in Egypt. In Egypt, they worked every single day. In Egypt, there was no rest. In Egypt, their worth was wrapped up in what they could produce, how much they could get done, how many quotas they could meet, how quickly it could all get done. And if they didn't work every day, and if they didn't meet their quotas, and if they didn't meet the expectations, you know what they were called? Lazy. And so one of the first things God says to the Israelites is, all right, there's going to be a new system. There's going to be a whole new way of ordering your time, your calendars, your days, and your weeks. I want you to work six days because work is good. Work is meaningful, but the seventh day is going to be different, holy, distinctive from the other six days. On the seventh day, you'll rest. On the seventh day, you'll gather in sacred assembly together. You'll gather together to remember your lives and your worth are not wrapped up in what you can produce and what you can do. They're they're wrapped up in me and what I give to you. And so God is saying the first appointment you put on your calendar, Israelites, 
is the Sabbath day. And it comes every seven days. So just circle that one on your calendar every week. Block out that day every single week. In fact, this is so important. It becomes one of the 10 commandments. Every seventh day, I want you to rest and gather in sacred assembly. Now, Leviticus 23 continues, and what follows are descriptions of six additional feasts or sacred assemblies that are to be celebrated throughout the rest of the year. Not just every week, but six things that are done throughout the rest of the year. And we're not going to read all of the details. Let me briefly describe these feasts to you. There are three spring feasts and three fall feasts. So let's take a look at the spring feast real quick. Uh, The first is Passover and unleavened bread. Those really go together. Um, You're probably familiar with that. Passover is one day, and then the seven days following that are called unleavened bread. And these always take place in March or April of the year. Um, They had different names for the month, but they're March and April as we know it. And it's a time when the Israelites remembered how God saved them from Egypt. And so for these eight days, they would just gather to celebrate all that God had done. They would gather and they would make bread and they would eat it and they would make it the same way they had to make it when they left Egypt. It's a time of thanksgiving and celebration. Uh, The second spring feast happens immediately after this, because this is a time in Israel when the barley harvest first comes in. And so it's called the Feast of First Fruits. And they would gather on this day and they would bring the first bundles of barley that they had harvested. And they would bring them together to thank God for this harvest that has come. And any farmer will tell you that this is one of the most important times of the year. When you first are taking in the harvest, everything you've been praying for and hoping for for the last nine months of the year, to pick these first crops and just to pause and to give thanks. Now, about seven weeks later, the first harvest of wheat would come in. They would have been harvesting barley for seven weeks, and then the wheat would come in. And so the third spring feast is called the Feast of Weeks. On the 50th day, the day after seven weeks later, the people would gather to celebrate this wheat harvest. And in fact, hundreds of years later, when Jews were living outside of Israel and they predominantly spoke Greek, they used the word, which means 50th in Greek, which is the word Pentecost. And so year after year, pilgrims would travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast or festival of weeks or Pentecost. So these are the three spring feasts that mark Israel's calendar. And as you stop and think about it, all three of them, they're about Thanksgiving, they're about joy, they're about celebration, they're about celebrating God's provision. And of course, they play a role in Jesus's life. Uh, Jesus travels to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Jesus is crucified on the Passover holiday. He rises from the dead three days later, and Paul will later say that his resurrection is like the first fruit, a taste of the new life that all of us could experience. And then 50 days later comes Pentecost, when all of these pilgrims come to Jerusalem and the disciples, the followers of Jesus, for the first time preach about Jesus to all of these people. And there's this new harvest of people who decide to follow Jesus. 
So those are the three spring feasts. Now, Leviticus 23 describes three fall feasts as well. The first is called trumpets. Uh, It's the day that marks the beginning of a new agricultural season. Um, So this would be at the end of the summer. This would be the very end of any harvest that's left. And so it's actually the beginning of a new year. It's the beginning of starting to prepare your fields again for the next year, of praying for the fall rains because you will need that, your crops will need that, of planting and hoping for God's provision for another year. And so later, this one day became known as Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah just means the first of the year, the beginning of the year. And this day had a more serious feel. It was a time of reflection on the past year and prayer for the coming year. Ten days after the Feast of Trumpets came the Day of Cleansing or the Day of Atonement or in Hebrew, Yom Kippur. And we discussed this at length a few weeks ago, but this was the most holy day of the year. It was a day of fasting, a day of confession, a day of forgiveness, a day where all of Israel's sins were wiped clean. The slate was wiped clean. By God. And then immediately following the day of cleansing was called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also sometimes called the Feast or Festival of Booths. And this lasted seven days. And it was about remembering that time when Israel was in the wilderness and they had to live in tabernacles, which is really just the Hebrew word for little tents, temporary tents or booths or shelters. And there's the sense of when you get to the promised land, Israel, you're going to build permanent homes for yourselves. And you're going to have furniture and everything's going to be nice. But I want you to remember when you were in the wilderness and when God took care of you and provided for you while you were in the wilderness. So these are the six great feasts described in Leviticus 23. Now there's a couple of other feasts that are added to Israel's calendar later, Purim and Hanukkah. But most of Israel's history, these were the six feasts that played a central role in their calendar every single year. Now, let me tell you what we learned from this. Because it's not so much about these specific feasts. I mean, there's some details we could talk about, and there's some interesting things in this chapter that we could could learn from. But there's something so much bigger that's going on here. There's something more deep and more profound, and it's something that we desperately need. Because Leviticus is describing two kinds of time. There's ordinary time and there's sacred time. Ordinary time is normal time. It's everyday time. And in ordinary time, we, we go to our jobs, right? We raise our kids, we eat our meals, we, we text each other, we, we do yard work, we watch TV. We do all the things of ordinary and normal life. And then there's sacred time, which is holy time. It's different time. It's set apart time. It's different because instead of working, we're resting. Instead of going hard, we're slowing down. You see, sacred time is when you recalibrate. Sacred time is when you recharge your batteries instead of using them all up. Sacred time is when you gather with others to intentionally pause so that you can give thanks, so so that you can be renewed, 
so that you can be reminded of something important, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can reconnect with God, so that you can spend meaningful time with him or spend meaningful time with others. And when you do all of those things, that's what makes this sacred time. But here's the deal. Most of us tune our lives to ordinary time. And we make very little space for sacred time. And it's not that we think sacred time is a bad idea, right? It's just that we're focused on ordinary time. We're focused on work and we're focused on school and we're focused on logging in and we're focused on all the assignments that we have and all the projects that we have to do and all the expectations and responsibilities. And we're focused on which TV shows come on which nights and which new movies are streaming on Netflix and what time the football game is or what time the soccer game is or or when the grocery store is going to be less busy or when traffic is going to be less hectic or when the bills are due or when practice starts or when rent needs to get paid or or, or when the, the, the ski season pass needs to be purchased. You know, it's like we fill up our ordinary time with all of these concerns and all of these things. And if we can squeeze a little bit of sacred time in with God, and we'll try to make it work. If we can rest a little bit on the Sabbath, we try to make it work, right? If we can go to church on Sunday, or in this case, log in to church on Sunday, if there's nothing else happening on Sunday morning, if we don't have anything else on our, on our calendar that would be more important, then then we'll log in or we'll try to make time for that. But for most of us, if there's no sacred time in our week, if there's no sacred time in our months, if there's no sacred time in our days, we don't really miss it that much because it wasn't in the schedule to begin with. Because we've tuned our lives to ordinary time. And so then we come to Leviticus chapter 23, and in all of its discussion about time and about schedule and about calendars and about details, the only time it discusses is sacred time. Isn't that interesting? The only days that it discusses are sacred days. The only days that Israelites are commanded to keep are told to protect, are told, be vigilant about these days. Put these days on your calendar. Are the sacred days, which is fascinating. It's not that the ordinary days or the ordinary time is unimportant. Of course it's important. It's just that God is saying, here's how you can be different. In a world that tunes its schedule to ordinary time. I want you to be different. I want you to tune your schedule and tune your lives and tune your calendar to sacred time. I want the holy days, the sacred days, to be the compass that guides all the other days, not the other way around. Here's how one writer describes it. This is a great quote. Leviticus makes the daring claim that holy days are not the leftovers in the calendar. They are instead the core that gives definition and purpose to everything else. What a totally different perspective on time than we have. 
that the first appointments in our calendar are the holy days, the sacred time. And then when we make that first, when that becomes a habit or a practice in our lives, it will actually begin to reshape everything else. It'll reshape all of the priorities. It'll reshape the busyness we feel. It'll reshape the work, rest, balance that we all need. It'll reshape our relationship with God and our relationship with others. That the reason we're all stressed out, the reason we all feel too busy, the reason that for so many of us, true and genuine rest feels so elusive is because our relationship with time, our relationship with a calendar is actually backwards. Sacred time is getting our leftovers. And for most of us, there's not much leftover. So how do we flip our entire approach to time? How is it that we would prioritize sacred time? Well, let me give you two big suggestions today, and then we'll wrap up. Here's the first. Practice a Sabbath day every single week. So take an entire day. And for probably 90% of us, that's Sunday. Sunday is the best day to do this. There might be some exceptions. But for most of us, this will be Sunday. And make the whole day a Sabbath. Don't do any work on that day. Don't do any house tours on that day. I would strongly recommend taking a break from email on that day. Taking a break from your your normal media consumption habits. So what do you do on a Sabbath day? Well, for starters, you gather with other people. You, You go to church or right now you tune in online right? Because the sacred assembly part of just gathering with others and remembering who you are and who God is, that's an important part of Sabbath. But of course, there's 23 other hours on a Sabbath day. So what do you do? Well, you rest. You do restful things. You actually enjoy the day. You connect with God on that day, or you even connect with others on that day in ways that you wish you could do all the other times of your life, but you're just too busy to do. Now, I'm going to go into more details about Sabbath and and give you some specific suggestions on the podcast this week, because there's so much more to talk about how to do this well. But here's the key. You have to make this a priority. You have to choose to circle Sundays on the calendar. Literally, whatever calendar you use, maybe it's a Google calendar or something online. What if you blocked out your Sabbath days moving forward and you said, I'm not going to do anything else on those days that take away because this is an appointment I've already made. I'm going to fit everything else in around this. Now, a few of us might be saying, well, what if I have to work seven days a week? You don't. You just don't. That's what Pharaoh is whispering in your ear. That's a lie that you've been told. I mean, the Israelites, right after they left Egypt, they came to God and they said, hey, I don't know that we can do this Sabbath day thing because we have to gather food every single day. We're living in the wilderness and we have to put food on the table. And God said, no, no, you don't. You don't have to do that every single day. You can do that six days. That's important to do six days. But one day a week, you don't have to do that. I'll provide extra for you to rest on that day. Trust me on this one. Trust me on the seventh day. Rest, and I'll take care of you. 
So number one is practice a Sabbath day every single week. But here's a second suggestion. Follow a yearly calendar of sacred days. So in Israel's life, they had six feasts that were circled on the calendar. Everyone celebrated these six feasts. Everyone participated in them. Everyone made these a priority. And they kept doing the same ones year after year after year. Right? We don't read in the Gospels, Jesus pulling his disciples aside saying, hey, you know what? We've done Passover the last two years. It's kind of getting old and stale. Let's do something different this year. Maybe we go to Greece this year instead. You know, I mean, Jesus never says that or does that with his followers. There's six feasts and we do the same six ones every year. And every year they gain more meaning and depth. And these are appointed times. They're fixed days. Everything else in our year will revolve around these things. For us in the Christian tradition, we've built on this idea of the Jewish calendar, but we've developed a little bit of a different calendar. Over the past 1,500 years, Christians have celebrated a calendar that is similar to the Jewish one, but slightly different. It also involves six great feasts, and they're actually in two different groups. So let me tell you about them really quickly. Uh, The calendar begins with Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. Those take place from November to January every year. And then from February to May, we walk through the seasons or the feasts or sometimes the fasts of Lent, Holy Week, and Easter. Now I'm going to go into a lot more detail about this again in the podcast, because if you're like me, maybe you grew up in a tradition that didn't really celebrate this calendar. I mean, you're familiar with some of these things. Of course, we all did Christmas and Easter at some level, right? We celebrated those, but maybe not as part of a larger sacred calendar. And I found that the more I lean into the richness and the depth and the meaning of these seasons, of these feasts and these fasts, these sacred days actually begin to give more meaning and depth to all of my ordinary days, to the rest of my life. You see, my work becomes more meaningful when I rest one day every week. And my ordinary days and the ordinary seasons become that much more meaningful when I prioritize sacred days and sacred seasons. Now, if this is new for you, Maybe you've never really heard about this, or maybe you actually grew up in a Christian tradition that had these days or these seasons, but you never really understood them, or they didn't make a lot of sense to you, then this is the perfect time to begin exploring and engaging this sacred calendar, because here's the deal. It's all beginning in about three weeks with the season of Lent. That is the first season of the new calendar year. And so we're going to do an Advent series here at New Denver. We'll give you some resources to help you understand what Advent is all about. And definitely listen to the podcast this week because I'll talk more about why this calendar is so important. And so if you've been part of our church for a while, or maybe this is actually familiar to you, maybe you would say, well, yeah, yeah, I already know about Advent and Easter and Lent, and I think they're kind of cool and they sound great. Here's a question. 
Are they a priority for you? Is Advent an appointed time for you? Is Advent already on your calendar? Are you already thinking about it? Are you already preparing to enter into this sacred season in just a few weeks? Or here's a really good question. Will your engagement of Advent and Christmas this year shape the rest of your life? Or will the rest of your life shape your engagement of Advent and Christmas? Here's the deal. We can continue to be busy. We can continue to be stressed out. We can continue to to give God our leftovers, and we can really continue to give our soul the leftovers. Or we can embrace another way, a way that is so much better. And I hope we'll all consider that. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for um, the great tradition of Israel and the great festivals that they celebrated. And I thank you for followers of Jesus that have gone long before us and celebrated new seasons that give meaning to their relationship with God and their faith in Jesus. And God, some of us have tasted what those seasons of Lent and Easter and and Advent can mean. And so I pray that you would help us to prepare well for entering a new season this year. For those of us for whom this is new for, I pray that you would give us the courage to experiment and explore it. And God, in in light of the Sabbath day, help us to make that a priority. Help us to begin to take steps of circling the date on the calendar, pushing everything else aside, and asking the question, how can you restore us and renew us? How can we be reminded of who we are in you? Every single week. Pray all this in your name. Amen.